to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, we're picking up there in verse 12, and we see how uh, Paul, again, he's pretty much, uh, we mentioned how the letter to the, to the Corinthian church, uh, it's for the most part a corrective letter, right? Uh, the church at Corinth was, man, super spiritual. Uh, I mean, uh, gifted, super gifted, right? Paul would say that they had uh, this enriched knowledge of the Lord. Uh, and so they thought that they were like very mature, very, very spiritual. But really we see that Paul's going to address a lot of issues that were going on in the church. And by addressing these things, he's pretty much going to say, look, you're not as, as, as hot as you think you are, right? As a drip, by addressing all these different things going on in the church. And then so Paul first just gave them an encouragement. He exhorted them in all of their, their strengths, all of their strong points. Man, look, you're spiritually gifted, right? I think out of all the churches there in the New Testament, that are mentioned, the church at Corinth was the most uh, spiritually gifted. He mentions gifts uh, such as speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecying, uh, 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 exhortation, you know, teaching, uh, all these different gifts of the Holy Spirit, love, right, uh, faith that were that were present at the church at Corinth, but yet they lacked uh, that maturity that, that that they needed. And so Paul's writing to address these things. And so picking up there in verse twelve. He says this, he says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. That's the Holy Spirit. So says that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. And then he says this in verse 13, he says, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Um, and so we see that uh, Paul mentions a few things here. Right, and as he's writing, he's making this contrast, and he tells us about the spirit of the world versus the spirit of God. Right, and he had just finished telling them how he came to them not in the wisdom of the world, but in the wisdom of the Lord, which is uh, foolishness to the world. Right, he he just finished telling them how how God has all these amazing things prepared for all those who love Him. Right, and now he says, and now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. And so in the previous verses, there in chapter 2 and even all the way to chapter 1, uh, we see that Paul made a distinction between the wisdom of this world versus the wisdom that comes from God. And now Paul would even say, hey, look, when I came to you, I didn't come to you uh, in the wisdom of man, but in the wisdom of God, which is actually foolishness to the world. Even though Paul was learned in all things, right? He was a studying man. He wasn't no fool. I mean, he was, uh, in the world's eyes, he was an educated man. Uh, we, he was taught under Gamaliel, which, is, which was, who was one of the most like, respected teachers of that time of the Pharisees, right? He grew up pretty much uh, in a private school there for the Jews. He was a study man. He had just spent, before he went to, to Corinth, he had spent time in Athens where he was uh, debating and swapping debates with the most you know, gifted and talented uh, thinkers, the philosophers of that day there in Athens. So Paul, if he could have, he could have, if he wanted to, he could have, you know, drawn out all these, you know, big hot shot words and, and arguments in order to preach the gospel, but he didn't, right? He said, look, I made it a point to, to when I came to you to preach Christ and Christ crucified. That's it. The simplicity of the gospel, right? And so you were saying, look, I didn't use any carnal methods to bring you this spiritual truth, right? Just the simplicity of the gospel. And then he would go on to say, that there is a wisdom that comes from God that only the child of God can know, right? Which is that born-again believer. And so as Paul is describing this wisdom that comes from God, he said, look, this wisdom that comes from God is exclusive to the believer, to the child of God. And he goes on to make this distinction uh, in the true believer 
between worldly and godly, uh, and between spiritual and carnal. Right? And so this chapter is mainly, again, Paul making those, dis those distinctions between the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of, uh, of the Lord. Uh, the, the spirit of this world versus the spirit of the Lord. Right? The carnal believer versus uh, the mature believer. And so we see this, that even as Paul says this, right, that uh, we have the spirit of God dwelling inside of us. The Bible teaches us that every single believer in Jesus Christ, whether you're a minute old in the Lord or a decade old in the Lord, we all have the Holy Spirit imparted to us at full measure, right? We don't, you don't start growing in the Holy Spirit at the, the, the more you mature in the Lord. No, but the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, you're given the Holy Spirit in full measure, meaning that you have the same Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you that that believer has who's been walking with the Lord for 50 years, right? And been preaching, missionary, evangelist, been teaching the word. You have the same Holy Spirit, right? When a child gets saved and they put their faith in the Lord, man, they don't get a Holy Spirit junior, but they get that same full measure of the Holy Spirit now indwelling them just as you and I have. And so the Bible teaches us that every believer in Jesus Christ has received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And it's through this indwelling of the Holy Spirit that uh, of God that we can know the things of God, as Paul is saying. Look, these things are exclusive to the child of God, right? And so we see that Paul mentions the things, quote, that have been freely given to us, referring to verse 9, you know, he says, those things that God has prepared for those that love him. And so through God's Spirit indwelling us, we can know those things uh, that God has prepared for us. And through the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, we can know God's plans for us. Right? At least in the immediate. We can know God's will for us. It's not something that's hidden from us. Right? Which is beautiful because this is, it tells us, it speaks about a relationship with the Lord. Right? And, and, and you know, we can know what God's plans are for our life. We can know what God's will is for our life. Right? You talk to the Muslim and you ask them, hey, what's Allah's will? They don't know. Right? You talk to the you talk to the Jehovah's Witness, hey, what's Jehovah's will for, for, for your life? I don't know. You talk to the, 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 the Mormon, hey, what's God's will for your life? I don't know. Why? Because they don't have this, this personal relationship with the Lord. But yet, you talk to the Bible-believing Christian, hey, what's God's will for your life? Well, let me tell you. One, that I would remain steadfast, that I would continue in prayer, that I would uh, abide in Him. And then everything else that God speaks to you personally, hey, that's God's will for your life. We can know why, because we have this personal relationship with the Lord. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, so we can know God's will for our lives. And so as Paul is writing, all right, uh, he mentions, he mentions again, uh, that we can know these things that have been freely given to us through the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. And we see that that wisdom of God, uh, the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, we can know all these things. I know this, that, man, uh, a non-believer, I've spoken to some non-believers who, you know, we start mentioning the Bible, we start mentioning you're a believer, you're a Christian, and every once in a while you'll get these non-believers who will say, well, I've read the Bible, right, and, and I read it myself, and I read it, I, I've talked to believers who have read the Bible from cover to cover, right, and yet it, it had no effect in their life, and you'll talk to somebody who's a non-believer sometimes, and they'll say, well, I read the Bible, and, you know, and, and, and I know what's in it, and I read it, it didn't, and it didn't do anything for me, so it must not be true. Right? Although, come to some kind of conclusion like that. We'll say, well, I've read it, and I'm the same, or I've read it, and I didn't see anything special in it, or whatever. Right? And so we see, sometimes this non-believer will try to flex and say, hey, look, I've read the Bible, and it did nothing for me. Well, <laughs> my answer is, of course it didn't. Why? Because uh, you read it not with God's wisdom, but with the world's wisdom. You read it not with the Spirit of God indwelling you, but with the Spirit of the world indwelling you. And so, of course, it had no effect in you. Right? Of course, you know, it had no effect in your life. 
right? Unless a person is born again, unless a person has given their life over to, to Jesus Christ and now Jesus, you know, has sent his Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us, hey, this means nothing to us, right? And that, when I was a non-believer, hey, people would tell me about the Bible, they'll spit verses, and they meant nothing to me. Why? Because it was just like, I would just have a big question mark over my head. I couldn't understand it. It wasn't until man, I was born again by the Spirit of God that all of a sudden now the Spirit of God indwells me and teaches me. He gives me understanding. He gives me revelation, right? It's a, it, but it's that Spirit of God. Uh, you can't read it with, with this, with this, uh, with this uh, Spirit of the world. You can't read it in carnality, or you will but you won't understand it or you'll get nothing out of it, right? And so we see why a lot of people out there, you know, they're not believers, they'll use the Bible or they'll read the Bible, they'll reference the Bible, but yet it has no effect in their life. Why? Because they're not born again. And so my prayer, you know, now has, has shifted when I, when I run into people like that, you know, and it's not, all right, Lord, uh, give them understanding of your word, but Lord, uh, save them, right? Because unless that person is born again, then they can't understand this word. It means nothing to them. It's just... You know, uh, uh, good sayings or thoughtful sayings or, you know, good mantras or whatever, right? But it really means nothing to them. Like what, uh, what the NASB version says here about verse 13. I'll read it in the New King James and then I'll read it in the New American Standard. It says this in verse 13. It says, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual the New American Standard uh, Bible says it puts it like this. We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Again, emphasizing that point that unless a person has been born again and has been given the Holy Spirit of God to indwell them, hey, you know what? These things mean nothing. But once the Holy Spirit indwells you, then look, you're taught by the Spirit. Right? As Paul would say, but in those, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual word you're given that understanding of the scriptures you're given that understanding of god's word going on in verse 14 it says but the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of god notice for they are foolishness to him and nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned hey guys <laughs> presents come on in Again, there in verse 14, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. And then verse 16 says, for, quote, who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. And Paul, they're quoting from Isaiah uh, 40, verse 13, right? And so now we see... That, that, that Paul is going to talk about the natural man, right? And, and he puts this phrase out, the natural man. Uh, that, that phrase, a natural man, is first used here, actually, in, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians <coughs> chapter 2, right? And, and Paul, speaking about the natural man, uh, that natural man is a person who has not been born again by the Spirit of God. And so Paul says, hey, the natural man, the person who has not been born again by the Spirit of God, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for nor is their foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And so we see that. Speaking about the natural man, uh, every believer in Jesus Christ was once a natural man. Or, or, or I mean mankind, you know, so woman also. But I'll say natural man just, just, just for, uh, for teaching sake. So every single believer in Jesus Christ was this natural man. 
Right? Paul is describing natural man. He says that the natural man, meaning the person who is not born again by the Spirit of God in Jesus Christ, natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And so every single believer in Jesus Christ was at one point this natural man. We all started life here as a natural man. Why? Because we're all born of our mother's womb and nobody is born into Christianity. Right? Nobody is born uh, and, and is automatically a Christian. Right? It's not like uh, that. that's how religion views it. All right? Well, we're Christians because my parents were Christians and their parents were Christians and their parents were Christians. Right? That's religion. Right? But, but biblical Christianity uh, comes through relationship. Right? So we see that Christianity, and when I talk about Christianity, I mean biblical Christianity, that born-again experience. Right? It's something that, 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 that you must uh, take upon yourself. Right? It's, it's a, the decision that somebody makes to follow the Lord on their own, right? apart from any fam familiar ties. And so we were all this, at one point, this natural man before we were uh, uh, believers, before we came to the Lord. We were this natural man. Right? When we're born, we start off as just a natural, uh, a natural man. And so the natural man looks at the material. Uh, he sees and understands only the physical, right? He can't see beyond the physical. He can't see beyond the material. He can't look into spiritual things because all he knows is just what's natural, what's material, what's right there, right in front of him, right? He can't comprehend the spiritual aspects of life. Uh, he can't relate to God on that plane, right? Even though many people try, right? But yet we see that they're just, they're, it amounts to foolishness, right? Like I trip out when, when I see people who are not believers and yet they're, they're, they're getting into, you know, quote-unquote spiritual things right uh you'll talk to somebody who's not a christian they're like oh well, i'm not religious but i'm spiritual like what does that even mean right and, and really they, what they mean is that they try to look past you know uh, uh the physical and they look into you know whether it's new age whether it's stones whether it's horoscopes whether it's you know all all these other teachings right that are not biblical and they they equate that to being spiritual why because deep down inside they're longing for the spiritual why because Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has created man with eternity in his heart. And so they're empty and they know that there's more to this, but yet they don't want to go to God. They don't want to go to the Bible. So they refer to now, they, they, they resort to all these other means, horoscopes, new age, uh, palm rings, psychics, all these different things, right? To, to, to reach out to the spiritual and yet what they're needing is Christ. And so all of us, again, we're that natural man. And that natural man, he can't comprehend beyond the physical, beyond the material. He can't comprehend the spiritual aspects of life, though he tries to, right? And it's so foolish when you see somebody who's not a believer, and yet they're trying to comprehend spiritual things, right? <laughs> People will, again, will, will deny that there's a God in heaven who exists, but yet they'll carry around with them this little stone because they think that this stone's going to change the outcome of their day. You think, how foolish is this, right? How foolish. But yeah, again, they're, they're, na they're natural men. They're natural men and women. They can't see beyond the physical, right? Uh, Jesus, when speaking to Nicodemus, they're in John chapter 3, uh, in verse 1 through 6. Jesus has this conversation with this Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. And he, he explains this to him there in John chapter 3. And notice, I'll read it for you. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, he says, this man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, that it's teacher, says, we know that you're a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. And then Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? 
And Jesus answered, says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And now, when he says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he's not referring to water baptism, right? But he's referring to just that natural birth, which is, right, hey, a woman's pregnant, when she's going to have a baby, what do they say? Hey, my water broke, right? Just He's referring to just that natural birth. How do I know? Because he says in the next verse, he says, notice, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. And so when talking about that water birth and the spiritual birth, that water is the flesh birth, meaning just that natural birth, right? He says, but that which is born of the Spirit is of the Spirit. And so even Jesus, uh, he was teaching this to Nicodemus. He says, look, a person must be born again spiritually, right? Everyone's born once, the natural man, right? That, that, that water birth. We're all born once, right? And even as he's speaking to Nicodemus, it was evident at that point that Nicodemus was not born again at that point because yet he recognized that Jesus, you know, was sent from God, though he recognized his miracles, though he recognized and, 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 uh, and, and uh, admired his teachings, he was not yet born again. And that's why Jesus tells him, look, you're not going to understand this, right? Why? Because you're a natural man. And unless a person is born again by the Holy Spirit, right, then he cannot know the things of God. So he tells him again, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so to the natural man, the things of God are foolishness, Paul would say again, right? So notice, nor can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned, right? And, and you talk to a person who is uh, not born again, right, who, who, who doesn't know the Lord, and you tell them about spiritual things, you tell them about, you know, the things of God and their foolishness to them. Go to church, why go to church? Why go to church when I can use that time for something else, right? Uh, serve the Lord. Why serve the Lord when I can serve myself or go to this or go to that? Right? They're, they they're not gonna get it, right? They're not gonna get it. What? Go out there and just serve people, right? To 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 praise God and this and that. They they don't understand these things. It's like you're speaking Chinese to them, right? And they're not gonna understand it. They don't comprehend it. We see that the natural man, uh, to the natural man, the things of God are 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 unimportant, right? Their, their, their foolishness because they're not a priority. Uh, he sees very little importance in the things of God. Why? Because he's a natural man. He can't see beyond the physical. He doesn't see the importance in investing in uh, the eternal. Right? We come over here, we minister to one another, I minister to you guys, and I know that this is not in vain. Right? I know that I'm investing you know, in something eternal. Right? I'm not doing this just, just to do it. Right? I know that, that my reward is not here on earth, but it's in heaven. Right? And even if there wasn't a reward, I'm, I know I'm doing this. I think I just, like, I just posted something the other day. Just, it was like a funny little meme, you know, but, but it was like a, these, I think it was, like, it was something very, just very funny, very, very casual. And as these two guys hugging that out, they're rejoicing. And uh, there's like this funny song in the background. It just says, and it says, when you get to heaven and God shows you all the people who you helped get to heaven. And, and you know, it was meant like as a funny thing, but really it's like, man, that's so deep, you know, because really that's what we do it for. Right, the eternal. It's beyond the physical. It's beyond the material. It's beyond the what I can see right now. Right, it has eternal purpose. But to the natural man, he sees very little importance in it. Why? Because he can't see beyond that. The natural man is the unsaved man, uh, who does not value the things of God. Notice, nor can he discern them. Right. And so Paul making this contrast between the natural man and the believer, the spiritual man. Right? He gives all the characteristics of the natural man, the non-believer. Right? And yet, even as we read these things, he says, Notice, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit, uh, their foolishness to him. He can't know them. He can't discern them. Uh, and notice, even as we describe these things, it's unfortunate that, that there's a lot of believers right, who are saved, 
right? But yet, if all the, these things are are, are character, are, they characterize their life, right? They're descriptive of their life, of the life of the believer. And he's going to go into that right now, right? The carnal believer, right? That even though these things belong to the, the natural man, the unsaved, the unregenerate, the, the, the person who hasn't been born again, right? It's unfortunate that he, many believers, though they've been regenerated through the Holy Spirit, though uh, they've been born again, right, uh, by the Holy Spirit, they still have this mentality of the natural man. And then notice what he says there in the last part of that verse. He says, but he who is spiritual judges all things. Yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Again, I like the, I like the New American Standard uh, version, how it puts it. I've been reading that version lately along with my, with my, with my New King James. And I really like it. I like, I like how, how, it, how it puts it. And so it says, it says this in the NASB. It says, but the one who is spiritual discerns all things. Yet he himself is discerned by no one. I like that. You know, it gives you a better understanding of it. Because notice, he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Speaking about the natural man, again, the natural man cannot discern the things of God. But, in contrast, the spiritually born again person can discern all things. Right? To the person who doesn't know the Lord, I mean, man, they're, they're easy to fool. They're, they're easy to kind of just, you know, get one by them. Because they don't see beyond the, what's here right now. The physical, the material, right? Uh, but in contrast to the person who's been born again, man, we have we can discern all things. Paul would say, right? Now that word "discern" means, by definition, it's to determine the genuineness of something, or to understand, right, or to make judgment about something specific when it comes to the spiritual aspect of things, right? So look, the natural man they can't discern these things, but the spiritual man look they can discern all things, right? And, and it's true that, that every single believer, to every single believer in Jesus Christ, we've been given a measure of discernment, right? We have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of us, the spirit of truth to be able to discern what's right and what's wrong, what's false and what's true, what's genuine and what's, uh, and what's not, right? And so notice as he says, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one, or that's to say, or discerned by no one. That is by no natural person, right? By the non-believer. The believer, hey man, look, I can discern all things. The non-believer, you know, he can't even discern me, right? He doesn't, he doesn't get me. He doesn't understand me, right? I could, I could look at the life of a non-believer and even just see their struggle, see the things that they're going through. I can almost immediately point it to something spiritual in their life, right? Hey man, this person is just striving. They're doing this, they're doing that. They're struggling with this. And, and, and me, I could look at someone's life for the most part and the Holy Spirit will tell me, look, they have no peace because of this, this, that, and the other. Right? First of all, they're not born again. First of all, the second of all, they don't have a relationship with the Lord. But third, you know, and, and usually the Holy Spirit will, will give me, will show me certain things in their life. Not like, oh, like you're in sin or anything like that. But, you know, just things that, that, that why they don't have that peace. Right? But yet for the non-believer, he could look at my life and they're not going to get it. Right? They're going to live, the, the, they're, they're going to see the way I live. Uh, they're going to see uh, what I believe in. They're going to see our, our convictions uh, that we hold. Or the things that we do for the Lord, and yet they're not going to understand it, right? So Paul would say, again, he who is spiritual judges all things. Yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. That is, he himself is rightly discerned by no one, right? And he goes on to say, verse 16, For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So we have the mind of Christ, so we can know both, so we can both know and also discern the things of God. The natural man can know or discern, but the believer can know and discern the things 
of God. Why? Because we have the mind of Christ now. Because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. I love that. And then going on in chapter 3, he says, And I, brethren, cannot speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal. Notice, as to babes in Christ. Now, I'm going to stop right there. Paul, again, he's going to kind of, again, make that, make that distinction between the natural and, and the spiritual, between the, now the carnal and uh, the mature believer. Notice how he says, and I, brethren. So who is Paul addressing here? You know, he's addressing Christians. He's addressing believers. Some would argue specifically about this chapter uh, that Paul was addressing the non-believers there at Corinth. But yet yeah, know this, that the letter to the first Corinthians and every single New Testament book is written to who? To believers. It's written to the church. Every single New Testament book is written to believers. So he would say, and I, brethren. Right? Meaning, hey, fellow believers, fellow Christians. And I, brethren. So Paul is addressing Christians here. But yet Paul says, I couldn't address you as Christians. He says, again, I, brethren, cannot speak to you as spiritual people. Remember, in the chapter before, he's making that distinction between the natural and the spiritual. And yet he says, look, brethren, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual Tragic. He says, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual people, that is, as Christians, as believers, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. And, and, and that was a problem. That though they had been born again by the Spirit, they were living and acting as a natural man of chapter 2. Right? Man, he's addressing Christians, he's addressing believers, but yet he couldn't speak to them as Christians. He couldn't speak to them as believers because they were living as the natural man you know, uh, uh, described there in chapter 2. Right? They were not behaving like uh, spiritually mature people, but like carnal people, he would say. Right? They were fleshy. They were uh, uh, unregenerate in their lives, in their day-to-day lives. And so know this, that there is such a thing as a carnal Christian. Right? Some would argue, well, man, if he's carnal, is he even saved? Isn't I think it was Alan Redpath who said, uh, I believe it was Alan Redpath, who he would say, the carnal Christian, you know, he, he's a believer, but, but he, you know, he, he's going to heaven on, uh, on, uh, on the... He says, like, on a, he's going to heaven on, man, something like a, like on the back, what? what? No, no, no. It's like, the, the natural man, the, the carnal believer is a believer, but he's getting to heaven on, uh, uh, forget that thought, forget that thought. I should have I I wrote it down, you know. These things I, I, I read and all stuff, and I, I never write them down, you know. I think I'm a, I think I'm going to remember. Uh, man, I'm not as sharp as I thought I was. <laughs> but know this, that there is such a thing as a carnal believer. There is such a thing as a carnal Christian. Again, Paul is writing to believers here uh, at Corinth here in chapter 3. And so the Bible says this, that you can be a believer in Jesus Christ and be characterized by a life of carnality. Right? Now, that's not a good thing. Right? That's actually horrible. Right? To be called a Christian, but yet to be defined by a life of carnality. Right? Carnality doesn't look good on a Christian. But yet Paul says that there is some cases like that. Right? Where people are believers. They believe in the Lord. Right? They're saved by faith. Uh, by grace, through faith. Right? It's not of their works. They believe in the Lord. They generally you know, believe in the Lord and what He did on the cross for their sins. But yet their life is just a life of carnality. Right? And so there are many Christians who live this way. Right? And it doesn't look good on, on any Christian. It didn't look good on the, on the church here at Corinth. And it doesn't look good on any Christian here today. Right? I, 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 I'm appalled right? when, 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 uh, when I meet a believer or they say they're Christians. And yet their life is completely opposite to that of, of, of what the Bible teaches. Right? And I understand. I mean, I'm, I'm gracious. 
Right? God has extended a lot of grace to me, and, and, and I will extend it back. Right? But, so I'm gracious with believers. Right? I'm gracious with other people who I meet. But, but I, I get bothered when somebody's been walking with the Lord for a long time. Right? Where they, man, they've sat under Bible teaching churches, and yet their life is just carnal. Right? It's hard for me to comprehend that. Right? Now, I understand when a person barely comes to the Lord, they're learning, right? They're, they're, they're barely crawling, they're barely standing, you know, learning how to walk without falling. I get that, man. We've all been there. Right? I still fall, right? And I'm like, Lord, by your grace. Right? But when a person's been walking with the Lord for a long time, been reading the Bible, has, you know, heard all the bomb Bible studies, right? Has sat under Bible teaching churches, has sat under the best pastors, right? The good, the, all the best teachers. And yet they're, at, we see that the word of God has no effect in their life. That's when, you know, I just, man, question mark, question mark, right? And so Paul's addressing this type of believer. And so Paul has established that there are two types of people in this world, the unsaved, which is the natural, and the saved, which is the spiritual. But now we're learning that there are two types of saved people, the mature and the immature, which is the carnal believer, right? Now, the mature Christian grows as he allows, uh, as he allows the Holy Spirit to teach him, to direct him, and as he feeds on the Word of God. Man, that's the mature believer, right? The mature believer is just, Lord, teach me. Lord, feed me, right? And they're just, they're just learning. They're just growing. They're just maturing in their walks as they just, you know, as, 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 they, as, they, as the Holy Spirit is just teaching them, right? I love that. That's, that's the mature believer. Now, the immature believer, or the carnal Christian, lives after the things of the flesh, right? Now, again, it's true that when a person first gets saved, uh, they will be immature. They're going to be immature in their walks with the Lord uh, because they're still developing. But this is not what Paul is referring to here. He's referring to seasoned believers who have been walking with the Lord for a while. Right? Paul spent about 18 months with them there at Corinth. And then as he's writing this letter, it was a couple years after that. So he's writing to a church that's been well-established, to believers who have been well-established in the Lord for some time now. Right? And he's saying, yeah, look, I couldn't speak to you as believers, as mature spiritual people, but... As babes in Christ, as carnal, right? Now, how can you tell if a person is mature or immature in their walks? Well, for one, you're going to look at their diet. Right? I'm not talking about the physical. But you're going to look at their diet, meaning what are they feeding on, right? What are they feeding on? And he's going to address this in the next verse. We see a baby drinking milk out of a bottle, and it's natural, right? Nobody gets shocked by that. Oh, my gosh, look at that baby drinking milk from a bottle. There's nothing wrong with that. Right? It's natural to see. It's, it's, that's what you should expect. But if you see a grown man drinking milk from a bottle, just chugging it away, you think, oh man, there's something wrong with this guy. There's something not right in his life. And yet this is the person that Paul's addressing. He said, look, I couldn't, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal lords, as babes in Christ. And so notice what he says here. In verse 2 he says, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it. And even now, you're still not able. It says, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So again, you see a baby drinking milk out of a bottle? Hey, perfectly fine, you know. God bless a little baby. But you see a grown man drinking milk out of a bottle? Out of a bottle, you think, hey, something strong in this person's life. He didn't develop right somewhere, either mentally, physically. Something's wrong with them. Right? This isn't natural. This isn't, this isn't the norm. Right? And yet Paul would say, look, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. So when they should have been eating solid food, Paul says, I couldn't. He says, you, you, you couldn't receive it. And even now, you can't receive it because you're still carnal. 
he would say, right? And so we see that the Corinthian church, man, they had an elevated view of their spirituality because they thought that, that, that they were so gifted, which they were. They were spiritually gifted, like, man, more than any church of the first century. And, and because they had this enriched knowledge of the Lord, uh, they thought they were very mature, right? And yet Paul tells them, hey, uh, I had to keep my teachings basic, right? When it came to you, when I taught you, I had to keep it very basic. I had to, you know, I had to feed you guys milk, right? Why? Because you couldn't handle more than that. Because you're, you're, you're so carnal, you couldn't handle more than that. I had to keep the, the food, you know, where, you could, where, where it was nice and edible for you, right? It was still mushy. And you could swallow it. I couldn't give you solid food, right? Again, you'll know how mature a person is by what they're feeding on, right? If I were to ask you, which I'm not going to ask anybody here because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But if I were to ask you, man, how often are you feeding on the Word of God? Right? How often are you feeding on the Word of God? How much of your time is spent reading the Word? Right? Would you rather be taught or would you rather be entertained? Right? That's what's going to show you if you're mature or immature in the Lord, if you're spiritual or if you're carnal. How much time you're spending in the Word of God? Right? How much time you're spending reading the Word of God? And, and, and if you would rather be taught, or entertained. Right? That's going to tell you where you stand on that scale. And notice how he tells him. He says, you weren't able to receive it because you're carnal. He says, notice, you're, you're, are, you, are you not carnal? He says, you weren't able to receive it because you are still carnal. Notice. Right? And then he goes on to describe a few characteristics of their carnality. And he mentions this in verse 3. He says, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? That is, natural men, right? And so as he's describing these, these characteristics of their carnality, he mentions a few things here. Uh, he mentioned envy, right? Now, envy is, uh, by definition, contentious rivalry or jealousy or this discontentment. And then he mentions strife, which strife, by definition, is contentions or quarreling or debates among one another and then he mentions divisions which divisions is describing this tearing apart of each other or one another this disunion this uh, dissensions among them right and so paul says hey look when i see these things in your life envy strife divisions because when i see these things in your life doesn't that prove that you are ruled by your sinful nature doesn't that prove that you're carnal doesn't that prove that you're walking in carnality aren't you living like the people of the world, he would say, right? You're behaving like mere men. Um, another translation of that would be like, you're, you're behaving like mere natural men, right? Speaking about that natural man that he just described in chapter two, he said, you're not behaving like Christians. You're behaving like non-believers, he would say. And yet again, he's describing, he's addressing the church. And so going on now in verse five, he would say, oh, sorry, verse four, I almost skipped it. He says, for when one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, he says, are you not carnal, Right? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one, right? Again, don't, uh, piggybacking off that thought that, that he mentioned there in chapter 2 as he's addressing some of the divisions that were there. Remember, uh, we mentioned, was actually in chapter 1, in chapter 1, now he addressed some of the divisions that had arisen there in the church at Corinth. And some of them were saying, hey, we're of Paul, we're of Apollos, we're of, of Cephas, which is Peter. And some were saying, hey, we're of Christ. And what was happening is, is that there was this heavy division in the church because the church had divided into these, these factions within the church saying, oh, well, we got saved through the ministry of the Apostle Paul who planted this church. Other guys were saying, well, we got saved by the ministry of Apollos who, who taught us. 
You know, and others were saying, well, we got saved by the ministry of Peter, who, hey, he was one of the disciples, right? He was close to the Lord. And others were saying, hey, well, you know, we got saved, not through any of these guys, but we learned directly from Jesus, right? So then they had like this holier-than-thou type of mentality. And, and more than that, right, there was other things going on, but that was like the, the, the very gist of their division was that they had divided into these factions, right? And they were elevating men above uh, one, the Lord, and they were putting, you know, the, this, this following of men uh, above the unity in the church, Right? And so as Paul is addressing this, he says, look, who is Paul? He says, who am I? He's saying, who am I? He says, and who is Apollos? But look, we're just ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I love that word that Paul uses, ministers, because it's that word servant. He says, hey, dude, we're nothing special. Right? You guys are elevating us to this high position. Right? You're dividing over us. And who are we? We're just servants. He says, we're just servants through whom you believed as the Lord gave each one he's saying look we're just instruments man we're just instruments god just uses as instruments we're just his servants and yet you're dividing over us saying, man what's the big deal right and then he goes on to to describe uh the, the ministry there in verse six he says i planted says apollos watered but it's god who gave the increase and so they were dividing over the ministries of these men right paul the apostle was greatly used there at corinth to plant the church and to uh establish the church and when he was gone, we're told that uh, there was a couple who was traveling with Paul by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. And when Paul left Corinth, he left them behind. And so when they stayed behind, we're told that they, they eventually met a man by the name of Apollos, who the Bible describes in the book of Acts as he was mighty in the scriptures, but he only knew the baptism of John. And so meaning that, that he didn't know the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he knew the ministry of John, uh, whom John taught that there was a Messiah coming. And so Aquila and Priscilla took it upon themselves to, to bring Apollos into their own home, to teach him, to disciple him, and to help him mature in, into the full gospel, right? Because he, all he knew was, hey, well, God sent John the Baptist to come preach repentance because the Messiah is coming. And they told him, hey, look, the Messiah came. It was Jesus. This, and so they began to just uh, teach him the things of God, the way of God, uh, more accurately, the Bible says in the book of Acts. Right? And so Apollos was a mighty man. He was a godly man. He was a man mightily used by the Lord. Right, so when Paul left Ephes, uh, uh, Corinth, uh, Apollos came and Apollos pretty much continued to establish and to teach the church there at Corinth. And so Paul would say, look, I planted, Apollos watered, but it's God who gave the increase. And so who does the glory go to? Hey, it goes to the Lord. It is not the instrument, not the servant, but the Lord because it's God who did all the work. Right? Somebody could have planted, somebody could have watered, but apart from God giving the increase, it would have been futile. Right? Nothing would have happened unless God would have given that increase. And so notice he goes on to say, So neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. It's all about the Lord. Right? It's not about the person. It's not even about the ministry. It's not even about you know, who God used. But God is the one who gives the increase. And apart from God's spirit working in this ministry, then man, it means nothing. Right? That's what he's saying. Now notice in verse 8 he says, Now he who plants and he who waters, they're one. They're both servants. They're both ministers. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. And you are God's field. And you are God's building. He says, according to the grace of God which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. And another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. And so Paul is saying, look, I was given the ministry. I was given the task of just laying the foundation. Right? And that foundation is Christ. 
Because I, I laid the foundation of Christ, you know, I, I was there, I established guys, I shared the gospel, I preached the gospel, I laid the foundation, and now each one is, is responsible to how they're going to build on that foundation, right? Paul's saying, look, I'm not responsible for the building, I'm responsible for the foundation. What you do with that foundation what you, and how you build on it depends on you, right? Notice, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. Now, that's important because as he's addressing uh, these carnal believers there at court, what he's saying is, look, you haven't been, uh, you haven't been wise in your building. Right? I was wise in my laying the foundation because I gave you Christ. I preached Christ. I, pre I preached the gospel to you and that's it. But you were unwise in how you built upon that foundation. Right? And so he says, notice, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Is that's it. Now, if anyone built on this foundation with gold, with silver, with precious stones, with hay, uh, with wood, or with straw, says, notice, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And so, Paul is describing this work here that takes place in the life of the believer, right? As that foundation is laid, which is that foundation is Christ. Right? Each and every one of us, man, we probably got saved through a different ministry other than that here of Calvary Chapel City Terrace, most of us, right? And after that, we'll respond to the foundation was laid, Christ, right? Jesus Christ, that's it. The fun, that, that was the foundation that was, that was laid. Someone shared the gospel with us. Hey, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. If you believe on him, and your sins are forgiven. You have a relationship with God now, right? You've been born again by the Spirit of God. Uh, Christ has given you a new life. All right, that's the foundation right there. But Paul says, now if anyone builds on this foundation with... Whatever it is that you build on that, whether it's gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, stubble, he says, it's going to be clear on that day. Now, when he mentions the day, I don't know about you guys, but in my Bible, that, that word day, the D is capitalized. Really, he's talking about uh, the judgment day, right? And, and, and not that, it's not that, 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 that judgment uh, uh, for our sins because our sins were judged on the cross, right? And so the Bible talks about two different judgments. Well, one of them, it's a judgment for the non-believer, the Christ-rejecting uh, uh, person, right? They're going to have a judgment, right? The Bible says in Romans that every man is uh, destined to die once and after death, the judgment. And so they're going to be judged for what they did with Jesus on earth, right? they, they re well, the rejection, right? But there's a second type of judgment. So that, that, that's the white throne judgment. The Bible describes it as that. Now, there's a second type of judgment that the Bible describes, and that's known as the Bema Seat judgment which is described there in the book of revelation right and this famous judgment is pretty much uh a judgment for the believers not for our sins because our sins have been already judged on the cross but pretty much for our works right for our works and for whatever we did here on earth for the lord and so he says paul as he's describing this judgment on that day right again it's more, it's more like an awards i would uh, for lack of better words like an award ceremony right we're not judged for our sins because our, our sins were already judged on the cross i want to make that very clear Right? We, don't have, we don't have to fear as a believer saying, oh man, well, hopefully you know, when I die, I'm going to be face to face with the Lord and hopefully he forgives me. No, we can be sure a thousand and one percent that our sins are forgiven. Right? But anything else, whatever we did for the Lord here on earth, then you know, hey, we're, we're told that there is going to be a reward for that, that there is going to be you know, even a recognition for that. Right? We don't do it for the recognition, but it is going to be acknowledged. And so Paul would say, look, whoever built on that foundation, whether it was with gold, that they'll know up there 
whether it was with silver, hey, don't, we'll know that day. Whether it was with wood, with hay, with straw, says, hey, we'll know. And how will we know? Notice he says, it's going to be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is, right? If it's gold, hey, it's going to sustain the judgment. If it was done with wood or with hay, with straw, with stubble, it's going to burn up and you're going you're gonna to get nothing, right? But notice what he says in verse 14. If anyone's work which he has built on, on it endures, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, then he will suffer loss. But notice this, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Right? So he's saying, look, this second judge, this type of judgment here, it's, you know, our, our salvation isn't dependent on it, is what he's saying. He's saying, when we're judged for, for these works, it's not going to change the outcome of your salvation because we're already saved. Because if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved. Right, so the, the second judgment, it's not going to determine anything. It's not going to change the course of our salvation because we're already saved, right? We're going to be there with the Lord. But it's going to pretty much determine, you know, what, uh, what type of heart you did things for, right? A few examples of uh, working or building upon with precious gold and silver, right, are these. Man, just ministering with a pure heart. Just ministering to the Lord with a pure heart. That's gold right there. That's gold. Ministering to the Lord with no other uh, uh, motive other than that, other than just pleasing God. That's gold. Right. Whatever you do for the Lord, whether it's share the Bible, or share the gospel with someone on the street, whether it's give somebody a track, whether it's pray for somebody on the street, whether, whatever it is that you did for the Lord, if it was done with a pure heart, hey, that's gold right there. That's that's one of these works that Paul is, is saying, hey, it's gold. Right? It's silver. Right? It's strong. It's going to endure. It's going gonna, it's gonna to endure the fire. Right? That's gold. And I love that. Because it's not dependent on us. Right? And so, so much on what we can do. But just on that heart. Right? On the condition of our heart. Notice how he says there. Again, uh, if it's of wood, of hay, or of straw. Obviously, what do those things do in the fire? Hey, they burn up. Right? They disintegrate. They disintegrate. You, go to, you, you have a fire pit. You throw wood in it. You throw hay in it. You throw straw in it. What does it do? You're left with ashes at the end. I mean, man, you get nothing for what you threw in. You put gold in the fire, what do you get? Even pure, refined, or refined gold, right? Fire refines gold. It takes out all the impurities. It, you're left with something even purer than what you put in. But with the wood, hay, uh, straw, you're left with ashes, right? You're left with nothing. And an example of something that's done, an example of something that's done, you know, uh, as war, as wood or hay or straw is man ministry for the Lord uh, with wrong motives, with wrong intentions, right? If you're doing something for the Lord and yet you're complaining about it, you're uh, murmuring about it, you're complaining about it, you're backbiting, getting, you're, you're you're resenting it. Hey, just know you got a pile of ashes waiting for you in heaven, right? It's like man, if you're gonna minister for the Lord and your heart's not in the right place, don't even do it, why? Right? Because it's gonna be an embarrassing moment up in heaven. When you go up, you're right, and it's your turn to go up, and, and, and you're right, you have all this long list of things that you did for God, and, and out of this long list, you're left with just a big old pile of ashes, right? Why? Because it was done with the, done with the wrong motives, right? It was, done, it was done with the wrong intentions. It was done with the wrong heart. But in the contrast, hey, man, if you do even the smallest thing, Jesus would say, hey, look, if you give a cup of water to someone in my name, because you've done the work of the Lord, right? And if you do that with just a good heart, pure heart with the intention of just serving the Lord pleasing God hey man that's gold that's gold you guys ever see that movie Outsiders hey, stay gold pony boy
stay gold. That's it, man. That's what it's all about. Just keeping a pure heart in it all. Notice he goes on to say, again, verse 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Notice, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy you. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Again, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Right? He's, making, he's, he's asking like as a, it's a rhetorical question, right? It needs no answer. But he, he lays out this truth that we are the temple of God right? and that the Spirit of God dwells inside of us. Now here's a question, man. Can you contain God's Spirit in four walls? You can't, right? God's Spirit is omnipresent. It, it, you can't contain God's Spirit in four walls. You can't, so much less this, this body, right? But Paul's making a point here. He says, look, your lives, your bodies, right, should be uh, uh, houses, dwelling places of the Holy Spirit, which they are, right? A lot of people would uh, use this verse to pretty much describe uh, or, or, or to say, oh, well, look, you got to, you know, you, you, you can't get tattoos, you can't do this because your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. You got to stay away from this, but really in the context of it, Man, what Paul's talking about is man. He's talking about purity. Just be pure. Be pure. Why? Because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Right? The Spirit of God dwells inside of you. And if anybody defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are. And notice it goes on to verse 18. He says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Remember, Paul had just mentioned a couple chapters earlier that the foolishness of this world is, uh, sorry, that the, that the foolishness of the Lord is wiser than the wisest things of this world, right? So he's saying, look, you can't approach God and your own wisdom, thinking, oh, well, God, look, I got it all figured out, right? I got you all figured out, God. Do this and this and that in my life, in my life because this is the way it's supposed to plan out. No. Paul would say, look, don't be deceived, all right? If anyone among you thinks to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise meaning man deny yourself of this worldly wisdom right whatever physical understanding you have this world and of and, and how the things work in this world hey in god's kingdom it's backwards right jesus would say hey man he who wants to be greatest then be the least of all man that doesn't make sense in the in the natural world whoever wants to be the greatest then be the servant of all that doesn't make sense in the natural world so we have to become unwise in the natural things in order to be wise in the spiritual things and the things of god and notice for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death, he says, or things present or things to come. Notice, hey man, it's all yours. And you are Christ and Christ is God's. Amen? I went right there. Father, thank you so much for the study of your word. Lord, I pray, Lord, that this uh, Bible study would just be...